My name is Kelly. I'm not ashamed of Russell. Okay, let's try it. I think the essential thing is to be obedient to the call that God has called us to, uh, to be the salt and light of the world. I'm Carrie and my husband is Kaiman. So I'm currently serving or working with the church office. So I serve as a ministry support staff uh, where I support the pastors. I'm a breast cancer survivor and I'm thankful to God for His grace and mercy in keeping me all these years uh, ever since I was diagnosed with it in 2009. So yeah, that's something I'm really thankful for. I came from a family of non-Christians and Jesus was really unheard of in my family. So the gospel was really uh, something uh, totally uh, unheard of. And um, I believe God put this desire in me to want to know Him uh, through this Billy Graham crusade many years ago um, where there was this tagline, I found it. And I was curious and I caught the hotline and subsequently I received some Christian literature and after reading through it, I kind of said to Sinner's Prayer, but that was it. And then um, then it was at another um, uh, time in my life, when I was in my secondary two, uh, one of my teachers invited us to her home and that was when she shared the gospel. Uh, with us and it was at that time that I prayed to receive Christ again and uh, and that was also where it ended and then I remember the third time which I prayed to receive Christ it was also at the gospel rally um, at the national stadium I think it was a Billy Graham uh, rally uh, so I prayed to receive Christ again this time for the third time but that marked uh, the start of my faith journey and I guess with each one it kind God was like moving me a step closer to him so it was at this rally the Billy Graham crusade that I prayed to receive Christ and that kind of like put me on the start of my journey with him I see the power of God working very much in the life of my family as I came from a non-Christian family where I think most of my siblings, my parents, they have not heard of the gospel at all but I saw how God through the years slowly brought uh, one by one to know Him. First it was my fifth brother, then it was my sister and one of my nephews and subsequently both my parents. So I really was uh, uh, so glad and thankful, you know, that God actually worked in such a marvelous way to bring some of my family members to, to Christ. And I know that's still a long way to go, but I'm still praying for their salvation for the rest of my family. Yeah. I think there were many events, I think. But the most recent one was the uh, Reformation concert. And I think that one was um, uh, 
that one actually kind of showcased what the gospel is like uh, to as a church, uh, how people of different ages, people of different backgrounds came together to serve with one purpose. And I think that was testament of God's redemption power uh, at work you know, through GBC. And I hope to see more of this uh, from our church uh, that we can move forward you know, as, uh, in the years ahead. Yeah. Mm, I hope that each, of one, each one of us in GBC will make personal evangelism a life goal uh, and to seize every opportunity they can to build bridges so that um, they will to build bridges for them to to share the gospel with people who get to know Christ. My name is Carrie, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Wasn't that a great video testimony? Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for your sharing. You know, when we were trying to persuade Carrie to screen the video, she was kind of shy. And finally, we persuaded her by telling her that, hey, you know, it's Chinese New Year, we're going to be expecting fewer people today. But, Carrie, there's quite a lot of people. So, so you all prove, me, prove her wrong, there's a lot of people today. Okay? The reason why we're showing these videos for all, is for all of us to see how the gospel has inter- impacted members of the church and now how they now live their lives Unashamed of the gospel. We're continuing our series on Acts in Acts today, and we have a fair bit to go through today. So let us pray as we prepare to hear from God's word. Let us pray, praying the words of a modern hymn. Draw my soul to thee, my Lord. Make me love thy precious word. Bid me seek thy smiling face, willing to be saved by grace. Dearest Jesus, bid me come. Let me find in thee my home, thou the refuge of my soul, where I may my troubles roll. Lord, thy powerful work begun, thou would never leave undone. Teach me to rest in thee, thy salvation, holy free. Amen. Let's have a look at the picture on the screen in front of you. Okay, this up. Is a partial free for use reproduction of Edward Munch expressionist painting. I got his name correct. Edward Munch is called The Scream. Okay? And I think some of you have seen copies of this picture before. But have you thought, what does it mean? And I asked several folks this at the last CG Leaders training, and we together came up with several possible explanations. And the answers range from mundane creative. But we talked about the artist's feelings of anxiety and fear. Some of them said that the colours of the sky were actually imagined, not real. It's a reflection of the inner state of the artist. Others were quite creative. Others said that the two men in the background, they were out to get the artist. And that's why the artist was afraid. But what exactly was the artist trying to convey? And this is what Munch wrote. This is in his own words. I was walking down the road with two friends when the sun set. Suddenly the sky turned red as blood. I stopped and leaned against the fence, feeling unspeakably tired. 
tongues of fire and blood stretched across the bluish-black void. My friends went on walking while I lagged behind, shivering with fear. Then I heard the enormous, infinite scream of nature. So the two men, they were his friends. He was tired. And the skies turned blood red due to the setting sun. And he was gripped by a sense of fear and anxiety. We can know the meaning of this painting because the artist himself has explained it to us. The point is this. We need help. We all need help in interpreting pictures. And this is what's happening today in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 41. God gives us a picture of what He's doing for us in verses 1 to 13. He describes for us the events that happens on Pentecost, that happened on Pentecost. And God, through Peter's sermon in verses 14 to 41, explains it to us. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 41. Please keep your fingers on the page. We'll be covering several pages. Acts 2, verse 1 to 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You know, remember, last Sunday, Yen spoke about God giving the church the assignment of being Jesus' witnesses to the world. And how God made a promise of giving the church the resource of the Holy Spirit. Remember specifically in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, where Jesus ordered His disciples to stay in Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father. Remember that? And that the disciples will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, which Ian covered last Sunday, there Jesus promised that the disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then the disciples were given the assignment of being Jesus' witnesses to the end of the earth. Remember that? Today, in verses 1 to 13, we see the promise fulfilled as the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, indwells His disciples. When I was studying in Louisville, I experienced mighty rushing wind. Okay, I'm not referring to a supernatural kind. Rather, what happened is this. Louisville sits at the edge of hurricane, hurricane country in the heart of America. And being a Singapore boy, not having experienced mighty rushing winds, not having the experience of being amid high winds, when the hurricane was blowing through, I was first curious and amazed. I thought, wow, high winds. Never had that experience before. And then I got afraid as the windows in my room began to, sh to shake violently. And then the alarm went off and we were told to evacuate to the basement as we heard news that not one, but two hurricanes touched down in downtown Louisville. That was my first experience of mighty rushing winds. I can tell you it's no joke. It's a fearful experience to be in the midst of all that. 
And this was the experience of the disciples, but multiplied many, many times as they experienced the rushing wind of the supernatural kind. Verses 1 to 4 tells us that the disciples were together in one place in Jerusalem, most likely in prayer and waiting on God. And that day was the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Pentecost was a harvest festival where Jews from all over the known world would travel to Jerusalem for a celebration. Suddenly, there came a mighty rushing wind from heaven and the house which the disciples were in shook as the wind filled it. Then what looks like divided tongues of fire appeared and rested on each one of the disciples, both young and old, men and women. And what happened? And they began, they, they began to speak in tongues. They began to speak in other languages. And what happened here was reminiscence of Genesis 1, when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, of God mightily moved at creation. You see, my friends, a new work of creation was occurring as the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples giving birth to the church. This event is all of God. Because you look at the disciples, the only thing that can be said of the disciples were that they were there. Okay? This is the movement of God. God's empowering presence came upon the disciples enabling them for weakness. What we see here God is God's fulfilling His promise and He pours out the Holy Spirit as Peter tells us in Acts 2.33. What is remarkable is this. And immediately, the disciples witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what we see in the following verses. Because of the harvest festival, Jews from all nations were present. And that's what the list of nations, the list of nationalities in verses 8 to 11 represents. And these people, they heard the disciples speaking and they were amazed and bewildered. Why? They were hearing them speaking in their own language. I mean, this is Chinese New Year. It's almost like a Chinese from overseas gathering back in their hometown in China for a Chinese New Year celebration. And suddenly, they were hearing the language of the countries they were living in. Malaysian Chinese started hearing Malay spoken. Singaporean Chinese started hearing English spoken. And the Chinese living in Myanmar started hearing Myanmar being spoken. And do take note of this. The disciples were native Galileans. They likely only knew spoken Aramaic and marketplace Greek. The Holy Spirit was enabling them to speak in other languages of the nations where the returning Jews were coming from. And what we see here almost is like a reversal of the curse of the fall. It's almost like a reversal of Babel. At the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, if you remember, because of the hubris and pride of man in rebelling against God, God confused the speech of man. Human beings were dispersed over the face of the earth, each with their own language. What's happening here? We see Babel being reversed 
as God shows us that the gospel is for everyone across all language barriers. And we see the start of the gospel being first proclaimed in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. A harvest is happening. God is bringing His people back to Himself. Although Pentecost is a unique once-off act in redemption history, it marks the start of a new age, a new covenant age. God is doing something new. Pentecost signals the presence of God's glory. The wind-light, fiery tongue-like phenomena at Pentecost declared that the Lord of glory was passing by. And the first thing we see at Pentecost is not what happens to this or that disciple, but the presence of God Himself in all His glory. Moving among His people, coming to His people, dwelling in His people, and filling His people. Secondly, Pentecost signaled the intent of the Great Commission. It is world missions and evangelism. The gospel breaks down the barriers of race, of language, and color. And Pentecost gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. Thirdly, the power expressed itself at Pentecost shows us of the resources God intended to use in the accomplishment of His plan, His design for the church. The bride of Jesus Christ will be gathered and adorned by the power of God through the Holy Spirit and not the power and ingenuity of man. It's God, His Spirit, who will accomplish His work, not our, our smartness, not our action plans, not our strategies. Because remember this, I will build my church. Jesus said this at Caesarea Philippi, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus builds His church. We are to receive the good news and respond in obedience by in turn proclaiming the good news to others. That's our responsibility. Conversion is Christ's responsibility, the Spirit's responsibility. And we do see at the end of this section, we see the differing responses in the Jews present. There were two responses. One group, as we read, was amazed and perplexed, wondering what this could all mean. And we see another group. Another group mocked the disciples and dismissed them as drunks. And this is where we see the once fearful people, uh, fearful Peter, standing up boldly and giving his first public message. Remember this. Just barely six weeks ago, Peter was still, still fearful, still afraid. And now we see him standing up bravely, giving his first sermon. And God used Peter's sermon to explain what was going on in verses 1 to 13. He interprets for us what's happening in the first 13 verses. You know, our, children's, uh, our children, they are not here. Uh, they are in our children program. And I, you know, I speak to some of the teachers, I speak to Transin. And if you ask your children any questions in the children program, what's the likely answer they give you? Jesus, right? Whatever the question is, they tell you the answer is Jesus. And they are right here because the answer uh, to this question 
to this portion is really all about Jesus. What's happening in verses 1 to 13 is really all about Jesus. So Peter's sermon, then, if you look at it, it consisted primarily of proofs, proofs in Scripture, and because it's a message to many Jewish audience. And this is how we see it. In verses 14 to 21, it interprets the miracle of tongues as a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. Verses 22 to 36 presents Christ as a Messiah in fulfillment of Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And finally, verses 37 to 41, it concludes the sermon with a call to repentance and to baptism. So let's look at Luke's summary of Peter's sermon in Acts 2, 14 to 41. Follow along with me as I read it for us. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my word. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, and that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of, paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he will set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, that you yourself are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We see in this passage, Peter puts the spotlight squarely on Jesus Christ. Even though Peter was explaining the phenomena of the coming of the Holy Spirit in verses 1 to 13, the focus is all on Jesus Christ. He speaks of the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah from the Old Testament. Peter gets up and interprets the events at Pentecost to the observing Jews. He tells them, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. in the morning, Peter is saying. It's too early to get drunk. So what on earth is happening? Peter explains what has just occurred on the day of Pentecost, on Pentecost this way. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, verse 16. Peter had come to understand Pentecost as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. He's in essence saying this, this this thing you see here on Pentecost is that, that which Joel described. Peter quotes Joel 2, verse 28-32 in Acts 2, 17-21. What had occurred that morning in the temple was no more and no less than what the Scriptures foretold. The coming of the Holy Spirit fulfills the prophecy in Joel 2. These are the last days. These are the days between Jesus Christ's first coming and His return. This is the time where God will pour His Holy Spirit on everyone, sons and daughters, young men and old men, male servants and female servants. This event you are seeing at Pentecost is that promised event. Rescue and deliverance is offered freely to everyone as everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. However, my friends, Peter didn't just stop there. It was to Jesus Christ, not the, the Holy Spirit, that Peter drew attention. Peter went on in verses 22 to 36 to tell us who Jesus is and what God is doing to him. I'm not on it. Testing, testing. Am I on? Testing. Okay. As I was saying, it's not to Jesus Christ. It it, it was not to the Holy Spirit, but to Jesus Christ that Peter drew attention. Peter went on in verses 22 to 36 to tell us who Jesus is and what God is doing through him. 
He spoke of Jesus' life and ministry, His death and resurrection, and finally, His exaltation to the right hand of God the Father. In verses 22 to 36, Peter affirmed the following about Jesus. Jesus was accredited by God through miracles, signs and wonders. So God proves that Jesus is who He is through the working of His miracles, signs and wonders. Jesus was handed over to you with the help, and with the help of wicked men, you nailed Him to the cross. But this is the fulfillment of God's purposes in verse 23. There was a clear and stark contrast between what you did and what God did. Peter tells the audience, you put him to death, but it's impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Verse 24. And Peter cites Psalm 16 in verses 25 to 31. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. It is impossible to keep a good man down. David had written that God will not abandon Jesus. David had written that God will not abandon him to the grave or let his Holy One see the decay. But the thing is this, Peter's listener could walk from the temple to where David's tomb and decayed body was located. So David himself did see decay. If that's the case, of whom then did David write about? Of Jesus. Prophetically, David spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave. Peter goes on to say that the apostles are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus in verse 32. And Jesus is now exalted to the right hand of God. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is proof that he, that Jesus is there. And again, Peter tells his hearers in verse 34 to 35, David was not speaking of himself when he wrote Psalm 110 verse 1, but of Jesus. So it really is all about Jesus. Finally, Peter concludes with verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God had made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God had made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Verse 36. If you look at the Latin translation of the Bible, of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it translates Yahweh's name as Kyrios. And it's translated here in your text, that you see your English text as Lord. And the Palestinian Jews use Lord to mean Yahweh. So what do we see here? Here we see, we are told, that Yahweh had made Jesus Kyrios and the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. Therefore, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God, comes in flesh. And we see the spirit and powered boldness of one fearful Peter. He draws the clearest contrast between what the Jews did and what God did. Can only be understood in the light of Jesus Christ. The interpretive key. He shows how God proved by his mighty works that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And that this good news, this gospel, has come in Jesus Christ. 
the gospel is the good news that God's promise has come in Jesus, who died for our sins and now sits at God's side, giving us the benefit of salvation, which is are rooted in forgiveness and the provision of the Spirit. Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, proclaimed and explained the gospel. And so, what, what was the response of his Jewish hearers? What were the responses of the Jewish hearers? We see this in Acts 2, verse 37 39. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the, whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. The crowd is deeply convicted by Peter's speech. Luke described their reaction as being one of being cut to the heart. Okay? It's, it's, can you imagine that? Taking a knife to something and cutting it, that's what uh, Peter describes, as, as Luke describes. It conveys the idea of piercing, showing the powerful nature of the message. And in response to their deep conviction, Peter boldly calls on them to repent of their opposition to Jesus and to be baptised as external sign of this inner repentance. Then, they'll be forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. You see, my friends, salvation and the gospel is new life, live in the context of God's forgiveness and God's providing of the Holy Spirit. And this gospel is for everyone. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. No one is so far off that God cannot redeem. The gospel is for you. The student, the student who struggles with finding self-worth, you seem to fail at your studies, your schoolmates bully and treat you as an outcast. And no one seems to think that you're mal to anything. You yourself think that you are not worthy of the gospel. God calls you to himself. The gospel is for the foreign worker in a mist. He works long hours to earn a low income. He doesn't have extra time to think about anything else or about God for that matter. He sits on the MLT and everyone shifts one seat away because he smells of a hard day's work. God calls him to himself. The gospel is for you, the man or woman, who realize that you are not a good person and that you are far off from God. You try and try again and yet you fall to temptation. You are captive to pornography or you time and again give in to the temptations to cut corners at work just to get ahead. You think that God will not give you a second chance, but God calls you to Himself 
no one is so far removed that God cannot rescue him. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God calls you to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. God calls on everyone to repent and believe. And we see Peter urging his hearers. They were urged to do two things in order that their sins might be forgiven. To repent and be baptised, which is actually one thing. Because baptism is the outward expression of an inward faith in Jesus Christ. And what about repentance? Repentance, the word for repent used here in Acts 2.38, it stresses about the change of mind that is necessary for repentance. A radical re-evaluating has taken place of our standing before God. And we have come to understand that something is wrong and needs to be put right. A new attitude towards sin has been formed. Sin is seen as something that has brought about the death of Jesus Christ. A new understanding of who God is has also been formed. God is holy and righteous and we are sinners. In response to the gospel, we repent, turn from our sinful ways and believe in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith is both a once-off event and a daily continuing posture. I mean, you heard of, uh, what Carrie had shared. You know, he said the sin, she said the sinner's prayer three times. So repentance and faith is a one-off event. But if you look at it, it's also a daily continuing posture. As Christians, we often think of repentance and faith as that one-off event at conversion. While the Holy Spirit brings us to faith in Jesus Christ, it's indeed a precious and wonderful event to remember and give thanks for. But the Holy Spirit will continue to daily convict us of sin. As a result, as Christians, we should be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and come daily before God in repentance. It means this, my brothers and sisters, daily as we live the Christian life, as we read God's Word, we daily get convicted by the Spirit of our sin. And daily we come to God asking for His, for his forgiveness, trusting that in Christ, God will continue to forgive us, that we are already forgiven. This means that you and I daily can come before God to repent of our sins and our self-righteousness. That's right, not only sins, but our own self-righteousness as we daily remember and respond to the gospel. Finally, how are we as a church to respond to the gospel? How are we as a church to respond to the gospel? A story was told of George Whitfield. He was an English preacher, an evangelist, who spoke very well. He had great power in his speech. He preached to crowds in England, Scotland, Wales, and America. And Whitfield's preaching was clearly anointed by God. Because of his preaching, the fires of revival were lit wherever he preached. And one of the many surviving stories from Whitfield's ministry involved his preaching among the miners in Bristol, who at that time were treated like animals and had little in the way of food and warmth. They were rough folks with even rougher language. Thousands of these men gathered around Whitfield when he came to preach 
picture this with me. A sea of coal-blackened faces arrayed before him. But when the preaching began, the Spirit of God moved. The miners were pierced to the heart in hearing of the love and mercy of God. And as they they began to weep, white lines appeared on their faces as tears cut furrows down their cheek. Many came to Christ that day as heavens were opened in response to the preaching of God's word. The gospel is for everyone who repents and believes. No one is so far off from God that God cannot rescue and redeem. And as church, as GBC, what will be our response? Well, our response will be that such that as we respond to the good news we receive, in turn, we are witnesses of it to others. However, my friends, as we end this, we need to realize that there's a need for urgency. As pastor and theologian Derek Thomas reminds us, there's a sense of urgency here. We are living in the last days. The next, and the next great redemptive event is the second coming of Jesus Christ, the date of which is unknown to us. The need to be right with God is pressing. It is the most burning issue we can face. You know, as I was preparing this, I was also convicted of something. There's something I, I realized in the past week that I needed to be repent of. Because as I was coming back on an MRT back home, and there there was a foreign worker seated on a chair next to me. And likely he had, he, he had a hard day's work and he was smelling. I mean, you know, he didn't really take care of himself and he, was, he, he smelled. And guess what I did? Rather than sitting there showing concern, perhaps trying to strike up a conversation with him, I shifted two seats away. And in the preaching of this message, as the preparation of this message, I too realized, as with all of you, I need to repent. That I need to, that, that God's message is for all. For all. And our duty as ones who receive the good news, our responsibility then is to be witnesses of this good news to others. No one is so far away from God that God cannot rescue and redeem. My friends, is this your concern? How are you going to respond? How are we as a church going to respond with urgency? Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Let that bright beams arise. Dispel the darkness from our minds and open all our eyes. Cheer our desponding hearts. Though heavenly paraclete, the one as one who comes alongside us, give us to lay with humble hope at our Redeemer's feet. Convince us of our sin, then lead to Jesus' blood and to our wandering view reveal the secret love of God. Dwell therefore in our hearts, our minds from bondage free. Then we shall know and praise and love and worship the Father, Son, and Thee. And in doing so, be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth.